Anyway, my passion. So uh, I, I set I set the the task uh, about three or four weeks ago. Jamie said uh, of giving our pastors, Pastor Jamie, Pastor Teresa, Pastor James, the the uh, the task of uh, digging in and, and, and sharing what their passion is. And uh, while, while I gave them that task, I didn't think I was going to get the opportunity to share. And uh, I actually felt jealous of that. And because uh, <laughs> I wanted to share, but obviously my, I get the opportunity of my passion coming out regularly. But uh, James rings me the other night and he says, I don't think I'm going to be right. So Pastor James is supposed to speak today. And uh, but he's been like many of you with, with this bug that's been in, and, and it obviously took a lot of uh, effort to be able to call me and say, I don't think I'm going to be right. But like he did say to me, and I really appreciate it, two days' notice is better than two hours' notice. So, uh, yeah, I do thank you for that. So, I was able on Friday just to put down some really quick thoughts around my passion. And uh, but I gave them the task because of this reason. There were two reasons. The first reason was I wanted them to dig into the reason why they get up and do the things that they do. Um, and, 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 the, and I wanted them to be able to not just dig into it, I wanted them to be able to articulate it in a way that would inspire other people to get up and do something for Jesus. Is that right? And the second thing was um, that if, if they were able to communicate it in a way, then you would not only understand their heart, but it might light a fire in you to be able to do the same thing and say, hey, you know what? I think I need to dig into the passions that God has given me and step up and do uh, what God wants me to do. And it was really good to highlight Sam's passion today. She's doing what she called to do and she's doing that faithfully for the Lord. And, you know, more power to her and more strength and more ability to her in the Holy Spirit to be able to continue to serve God in her passion. Four years is a fairly long time to be doing your passion, but it's, um, if you're passionate about something, it's, it, it can be a lifetime and it doesn't feel like it. So, so discovering your passion is really, really important. And, and it was about at this time in our first service that someone asked from the floor, can you explain to me uh, what you mean by passion? And I thought, well, that's a really good question because I can talk about passion all uh, I want, but unless I can convey to you what my passion is and why I think it's a passion, then it's going to just fall, it's going to be like water off a duck's back. And I think Jamie did a great job last week and I couldn't remember what you said, sorry. So I had to come up with my own and I did it on the spot and now I'm just going to share what my own was. But for me, passion, passion is something that I would die for. It is doing something that is worth doing entirely for my king. What? Anyway, Tim didn't remember it either. He was the one that asked the question. So that's all pretty good. <laughs> um, but, but my passion, if I was to explain to you what passion is, it's something that is worth giving up my life for. Okay? And, and for it to not just be uh, a waste of your life, it needs to be linked to something that's got meaning and purpose and usually something, I didn't say this, it's usually something that's going to leave legacy. Uh, in the first service, I could have said that. I had the guys and the men's team here and they would think I could have used legacy, but I didn't. But passion has to be linked with legacy. But I did say this, and this is not to offend anyone that may have done this. Passion is not just falling in love with the ski slopes of some of in Canada and just going there. That's not passion. 
It, it's, that's a dream and a ministry, but, but that's not the passion that God puts in your heart. You might have a passion for the slopes, but it's not just to have fun. And we're going to get to the end of that. I'm going to leave you hanging there, Michael. We're going to get to the end of that right at the end, and I'm going to tell you what that's going to link. Does that make sense? Because I, I could be passionate to go and tour the world and just see the sights. Is that right? But unless, but unless it's connected with the passion God has for me, it's a waste of my passion. It's a waste of my life. And I, I did say this. It's like if it's, if it's worth giving my life for, I'm not going to run into the first AR-15 I find and ask someone to shoot me. Right? Like martyrdom is not the pursuit of my life. And throughout church history, we've had moments in time where uh, the, the, not the apostles, but, but some of the, 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 um, the, the sons of the apostles and those sorts of things, they pursued martyrdom. Like, like they'd done all they'd done, all they could do for Jesus, so the only thing that they could do now was to go and die for their faith. And while I'm not judging that faith, it's not the pursuit, it's not the passion of my life to go and to say, shoot me because I love Jesus. I'm not going to run up to the first radical that I find and just say, shoot me, am I? That's not my passion. My passion is to serve Jesus, even if it's going to cost me my life. Does that make sense? So I'm willing to lay down my life for my passions for Jesus, even if it's going to cost me this flesh. And we'll get onto that a little bit later at the end as well. But just sort of... Putting that out there to help us understand and unpack if passion needs to be linked with purpose. It's okay for, to have a passion, but unless you can unleash that passion in purpose, then, uh, then it's not getting anywhere and you're not getting anywhere. So that was the question. I wanted our pastors to connect with why do they get up every morning and do what they do even when they take take slugs from the enemy, or they take a backhanded compliment from someone in the church, or they go into a school and they get rejected by all the kids. What keeps them getting up, keeps them going on? What is it about their passion for Jesus that keeps them going on? Does that make sense? That, that's where this kind of thought came from. And uh, next week you get to hear Pastor Teresa share her passion, and uh, we'll give Pastor James the opportunity um, somewhere in the near future to have a go as well. Amen? Mm. All right, so why do you keep getting up and turning up for your family? Why do you keep getting up and turning up for your friends? Why do you keep getting up and turning up for your work? I mean, work might not be your passion, but you've got to keep getting up and turning up, right? And why do you keep getting up and turning up for your church? They're all the, the, the things that I was thinking about. So Proverbs 29.18 says this, Where there is no prophetic vision... The people cast off restraint, but blessed is he who keeps the law. That's from the English Standard Version. It's, it, it's, it's, it's written right there. And for me, I use this version not because that's what I'm reading at the moment, but because I like that it says, where there is no prophetic vision, the people cast off restraint. It's okay to have a vision for your life. It's okay to want to travel the world. It's okay to want to um, just have a job, have a family, and grow old together and die. It's okay if that's the vision for your life. But, but Jesus came to challenge us in that one area, in that my life 
is now his life. Therefore, a vision is only a vision if it's connected to the vision of God. That means it must be a prophetic vision over your life. And I'm not talking about that some prophet stood there and says you're going to be a pastor. I'm actually talking about that it must connect with the heartbeat of God and the way he's designed you, created you, and equipped you to impact the world around you. So while Pastor Rob is coming and he's going to share prophetic words over many of us, that's not our pursuit in life. Our pursuit must be the heart of Jesus. And when our pursuit is the heart of Jesus, we hear through his word and the conviction of the Holy Spirit that that which opens up the connections of our heart and the compassions of our heart and the visions of our heart, which puts us into the passions of our heart, which is the whole purpose of why we've been put on this earth for such a time as this. And therefore, I wrote it this way. I wrote, if our vision is our vision. We just personalise that for a moment. If my vision is my vision, so say that over yourself. If my vision is my vision, I will succumb to the pressures of this world. But if our vision or my vision aligns with the prophetic vision of Jesus for my life or your life, then we have a reason for living. I'll say it again in one sentence so you can capture it. If our vision is our vision, we will succumb to the pressures of this world. There is, there is nothing, if it is my vision for my life, there is nothing to stop me from following the flesh. And in fact, I will be led by my emotions every day of the week, whether I'm feeling down or up, or whatever. If my vision is my vision, that's the way it is. But if I let go of my vision and trust the vision or the prophetic vision that Jesus has for my life, then it's it's outside of the way I feel. It's outside of the way I wake up. It's outside of the anxieties of this world. It's outside of, I'm just going to do it because it feels good and becomes, I'm going to do it because I'm doing it for the purpose of love. There's a massive difference in that. My vision is not my vision. My vision is what the vision of Jesus in my life. And, and we've got to connect to this. And I think the passion to un I think the key to unlock your vision is actually discovering your passions. Have we all got a passion? Now you're all probably going to raise your hand and say, yeah, I've got a passion. Alright, we've got six people. Fantastic. You've got a passion in your life. Fantastic. Michael, it was a late one, mate, but it was it was okay. I saw it. Alright. Who hasn't got a passion? A couple of honest people. One, two, three, kind of little hiding one there. Um, Barb, is that a, I haven't got a passion? Yeah. Has everyone got a passion? Yeah. Has everyone got a passion? I've got a passion to kill flies. All right, no, that's a good one. Um, right, okay. Many of you, and Shane said it in the early service, I've got a passion to not raise my hand. Right? And, and, and that's the truth. Sometimes the reason you're not lifting your hand when someone asks you if you've got a passion, you're sitting on your hands, is because you haven't connected with the way God's designed you, the way God's created you. The passions of your life, the motivations of your life, all of that sort of stuff comes into it. And that's what we're kind of talking about and going to unpack a little bit today from the story of uh, 
Bible story and from my own story, and hopefully somewhere in here you're going to capture what's going on. Does it make sense? Yeah. So passion is the key to unlock God's prophetic vision for your life. My hope today is that as I share my passion, you will connect with yours. Now, it's interesting because as the leader of the house, my passion shifts and shapes the passion of the house. Does that make sense? It shapes the church because that's just the way God kind of works. But my heart is that you don't just capture my passion. My heart is that I can release you into yours. Does that make sense? If I can release you into your passion, the church becomes the church and the body does the work of ministry and it's the picture that Jesus has for you. And she's a glorious and beautiful bride. So let's get into this. There are so many biblical examples of people who pursue God passionately. Or, or like in the case of uh, Jonah, God pursued passionately until he did what he had to do. As Moses is one of these people. Moses, uh, Moses. let me just talk to these few characters really quickly and help you connect to what I'm talking about. Moses was drawn aside by a burning bush. He was drawn aside by something that was miraculous. But the burning bush encounter helped him connect to the passion that God had put on his life. How can I say that? Because, what is it, 40 years earlier, he murdered a man... Because he thought his role was to set free the nation of Israel. To release them of the oppression of Egypt that was upon them. And he tried to do so in his own hands. So he killed a guy and tried to cover it up. So he acted on his own, stepped out in his own strength, and the result was murder. But now we've got an encounter with a burning bush and God takes him back to that same heart, that same passion, which was, let my people go. That we deserve freedom and the God of Israel is going to set me free, set us free. Joshua is the second one. You can read all about that in Exodus chapter 3. Joshua, he serves under Moses, but he discovers his own passion. And it begins as Moses sends him out to spy on the land. He goes out with 11 other guys and he comes back and he's moved because of the passion of what he sees. But he has to wait for a long, long time for that passion to happen because of the, the faithlessness of his generation. And had to wait 40 years for this to happen. But eventually God reconnects him with his, with his passion, which is ultimately this. Joshua Chapter 1, verse 9. Be strong and courageous. Reminding him of what he was saying all the way back when he came back with his good report of the promised land. Be strong and very courageous. Step into this. You're doing this not in your own strength, but you're doing it with God and all the armies of heaven behind you. So Joshua was reconnected back to his passion. The third one is Caleb. Caleb was with Joshua. The, the only two standing there saying, with God we can do this. We're like grasshoppers in the sight of giants, was the other tense report. But Caleb is moved and he's motivated by his passion. What was his passion? He saw something in the promised land that was far beyond and far outside of what he ever thought or imagined. He spied a land that he dreamed about, I think, every day for 40 years. And that was the hill country of Hebron. 
And you can read about Caleb's story in Joshua 15, because when they cross over the river and they take and they take and start taking the cities and doing the things that God leads them to, Caleb asks for the high country of Hebron. And in that country, do you remember the report? We're like grasshoppers to these giants. In that country was where the giants lived. The Anakim, the sons of Anak. His shortest son was over eight feet tall. That's a big dude. And God reconnects him with his passion and the moment in his 80s, think about this, he's 80 years old and he says, give me the land of Hebron. And he rises up and he runs and charges and he takes the hill country slaying giants. I think that's amazing. God reconnects him with his passion. His eyes inspired this land that he wanted for his descendants. And he rises up and he takes it. There's more. There's David's passion for worship. It comes out. And as he connects with God through worshipping him and singing songs, it's poured out and poured out. We read it in the Psalms. David's heart. And it was his passion for God that opened the door for him to become the king of Israel. And while he never saw, it was always his heart to build a house for the Lord, wasn't it? There's always a place, a heart for him to say, I want to, there's a place I want to build under your name and there's a place that I want to connect with you. And while he never did it, his passion comes out because he stored up so much for his son Solomon to build the temple that was worthy of God's name. Oh, that would have been splendid to look at. David is one of these people that connects with his passion and, and like us, we're encouraged to do so. I want to think about Ruth's passion for her, for her um, mother-in-law, Naomi. Think about that passion for a moment. That she would leave her own country while she'd lost her husband and she would follow her mother-in-law back to a country she did not know. She would forsake her own gods to say, I want to follow the, gods that you, the God that you serve, the God of Israel. She gives up everything in her life because she was passionately pursuing Naomi. And out of that, it opens the door for her to meet her kinsman redeemer. And it's a beautiful story, we know that. But she, she encountered something that was beyond herself. It was her passion for her mother-in-law that led her. See, passion opens us up. And, and, and it's the key for us to discover our vision and our purposes in God. And the last one we want to consider is the, the book of Nehemiah. Nehemiah is kind of like, one of my heroes, um, i got a lot of them, I can say all, all those that I listed were kind of heroes, but Nehemiah is just one that speaks to me a little bit around this. And, uh, and for, for time's sake, I, I really want to read, even though we've got, I've got to watch the time, I really want to read the first chapter to us. I want to put you in the picture. It starts like this, Nehemiah chapter 1. The words of Nehemiah, the son of... Hakaliah. It came to pass in the month of Chislev, in the twentieth year, as I was in Shushan, the citadel, that Hanani, one of my brethren, came with men from Judah, and I asked them concerning the Jews who had escaped, who had survived the captivity, and concerning Jerusalem. And they said to me, the survivors who are left from the captivity in the province are there in great distress and reproach. So we've got Nehemiah, he's, he's in captivity. And 
And there are people that, that have gotten out and have gone back home, and there are people that didn't get collected up in that last wave. Of, uh, and, and, and Nehemiah is asking about them from Babylon. And, and, and he continues in verse 3, it says, The wall of Jerusalem is also broken down, and its gates are burned with fire. He's learning about his home and how it's been brought to the ground and how it's been destroyed. So it was when I heard these words that I sat down and wept and mourned for many days. I was fasting and praying before the God of heaven. So it's, it's like he's torn his clothes. He's in mourning. He's got sackcloth on. He's fasting. I mean, he must be really desperate if he's fasting. But he's fasting and he says, And I prayed, Lord God of heaven, O great and awesome God, you who keep your covenant and mercy with those who love you and observe your commandments. Verse 6, please let your ear be attentive and your eyes open that you may hear the prayer of your servant, which I pray before you now, day and night for the children of Israel, your servants, and confess the sins of the children of Israel, which we have sinned against you, both my father's house and I have sinned. Can you hear his passion in his prayer? We've acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments, the statutes, nor the ordinances which you've commanded, the servant Moses. Remember, I pray, the word that you commanded, your servant Moses, saying, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and then do and do them, though some of you were cast out to the farthest part of the heavens, yet I will gather them from there and bring them to the place which I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. Verse 10. Now these are your servants and your people, whom you have redeemed by your great power and by your strong hand. O oh Lord, I pray, please let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servants and to the prayer of your servants who desire to fear your name. And let your servant prosper this day, I pray. And grant him mercy in the sight of this man, for I was the king's cupbearer. Everyone say cupbearer. Cupbearer. Cup it's a good one, eh? So first, there's a couple of things I want to pull out of this, this first chapter, and then I'll, one thing I want to pull out, and then I'll read a bit more of chapter two. Firstly, Nehemiah was stirred into action because he had a different vision for his people. He was motivated by his passionate desire to see Israel declaring through their lives the goodness of God. You see, he had a different vision. Currently, what was presented before him was destruction, was, was uh, oppression, was that these people were, were being hunted and attacked by armies from around them. And, and they had no place they could really call home and feel safe. And many people that we talk to today, they have no home and they, they don't know how to live in safety. They've come from countries that have been war-torn and ravaged or they, 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 things have gone wrong here in this city and, and they're living in a place like even Barnabas House. We get to talk to these people all the time. They've got to understand and, and step into what it is to feel freedom again and to feel safe and secure. Nehemiah had a different vision for his people than what was presented before him. The second thing is that his vision for these people drove him to action. And the first action was that he would tear his clothes and he would fall upon his knees and he would fast and pray to 
for God. He would repent of the sins of his nation. That, that drove him to action. It's kind of like Nehemiah is like the James of the Old Testament. Does everyone know the book of James? The book of James is an awesome book. If you haven't read it, go and read it and then do something about it. Because right? that's basically what he says. Faith without works is what? Dead. Dead. So kind of Nehemiah is exactly the same. He's like, it's not good enough to be in the position I'm in and only pray about it. But I've got to do something about it. Chapter 2 says it like this. And it came to pass in the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was before him, that I took the wine and gave it to the king. Why? Because he was his cupbearer. <coughs> He's in a position of prominence. He's in a position that puts him before the commander and the leader of that nation. The king. Now, I had never been sad in his presence before. Why is that? Because if you're sad in the king's presence, he could just off with your head kind of thing. Right? That's how, that's how serious it was. So he never allowed sadness to be upon his face. He always had a countenance of joy before the king. It's kind of a good motivator, isn't it, to live in joy? But, but he's, he's, something shifted. He's mourning, isn't he? He's, he's been in sackcloth and ashes. And he says, therefore the king said to me, we've got a very perceptive king in, in, in this story. Why is your face sad since you are not sick? This is nothing but sorrow of heart. So I became dreadfully afraid and said to the king, may the king live forever. Why should my face not be sad when the city, the place of my father's tombs lies waste and its gates are burned with fire? Then the king said to me, what do you request? So I prayed to the God of heaven. There's another motivator for prayer right there, isn't it? <laughs> when the king asks you, what do you request? Okay, I prayed to the God of heaven. And I said to the king, if it pleases the king, and if your servant is found favouring your sight, I ask that you send me to Judah, to the city of my father's tombs, that I may rebuild it. Then the king said to me, and the queen also sitting beside him, how long will your journey be, and when will you return? So please the king to send me, and I set the time. Furthermore, I said to the king, If it pleases the king, let letters be given to me for the governors of the region beyond the river, that they must permit me to pass through till I come to Judah. And a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he must give me timber to make beams for the gates and of the citadel, of the citadel which pertains to the temple for the city wall and for the house that I will occupy. And the king granted them to me according to the good hand of my God upon me. So Nehemiah was drawn by faith to his knees to pray. And then he steps up and he says, well, it's not good enough just to pray. I'm in a position here where I have an opportunity to stand in the gap for my people. And he not, not just does it in prayer, he does it in action. He's like that James character I was talking about. And he gets an opportunity to do so. And my time is nearly up. I need to get Anyway, he's like, I'm, I'm going to do this. And he does it with a bit of trepidation, doesn't he? And he stands before the king and he's like, okay, what am I going to do? I want to tell you something. It's one thing to have passion. Your passion can burn and cause a lot of trouble. Do you know that? You can be passionate for nightclubbing. You can be passionate 
for girls. You can be passionate for anything of the flesh, and it could cause trouble. Or you can be passionate for the visions of God. Passion can drive us into a place that is something that we shouldn't do. It's like passion can be, uh, if, it's, if it's unrestrained, it can be completely uh, derailing of your faith. So God puts in place, and even through this story of Nehemiah, he puts in place some really good key lessons for us that when we get struck with fire by the Holy Spirit and we become passionate for the things of God, that he puts boundaries around our life so that we can walk and, and, and achieve the things that God wants for us without us burning out and, and burning up and causing all sorts of fires. And I've seen that happen in people's lives because they haven't applied the wisdom of what Nehemiah did, does here. Nehemiah puts himself under the authority of the king. And in doing so, he puts himself in this place where God's favour is poured out upon him and he receives letters to be able to pass through the lands that he might be in danger of passing through. And he receives a letter to receive the provision of timber that he wouldn't have had unless he put himself in a place of submission. So while he was passionate for his people, he didn't just go and do it on his own because he would have lost his head. If he'd just up and left as the king's cupbearer, the king would have sent someone after him and gone. Because that's just the way it happened back then. But by submitting himself to the king and submitting himself to that authority, favour became upon him and he was able to achieve something remarkably miraculous. It's like, we've got any horse people in the place? Yeah, we do, hey, Eddie. Um, it's like if you go for, uh, if you think about even the mayor from Snowy River, you know they run out and they get all the brumbies, right? And I said this in the morning service. This, the, the, it's like having a stallion, fully grown, powerful beast. Yeah? It's like, like a stallion that's unrestrained can cause damage can smash fences, smash down walls, it can tear up crops. An unrestrained stallion can cause a lot of damage. But when you break a stallion in, it can become useful. Is that right? So passion's not meant to release the stallion with inside of you that you go and wreck everything. Passion is supposed to drive you to the place of your knees to heap God's heart for your life so that you would be bridled for him and when you train that stallion and you break that stallion in and it becomes, say, let's just say a racehorse, even when it's running and there's a champion runner, there's still boundaries, isn't there? There's the left rail and a right rail. And the jockey's on the horse and it's running between the rails. The problem with passion is if you let it get unbridled, break down the rails and you can derail your life. So you've got to understand that I'm not talking about passion that's unruled. I'm talking about passion that's in submission to something and that is the plans and the purposes of God on your life. Does that make sense? But there's so many lessons you can pull from Nehemiah and that's just one of them. Nehemiah was like this James of the, old of the New Testament in their old. Through Nehemiah we see that he was moved by the news of his people he was driven to prayer, positioned by God to do something, which is chapter 2, and then able to implement the faith action or the faith strategy given to him by God. 
See, in his prayer, the Bible doesn't say it, but while he was praying, he would have received a strategy, and that is to stand before the king. He wouldn't have done that on his own. He would have done that led by God. So when I look at my passion, I can sum it up simply as action. Pastor Jamie and I were talking about it on Friday, and one of the things I said was, he said, what's your passion? I said, obviously it's works, because that's all I've been doing, is work, 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 work. And, uh, and I kind of, yesterday afternoon, I was thinking about it, and I felt like I wanted to use this analogy. It's like the seven dwarfs in the story of Snow White. I ho, 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 it's off to work we go. And if you keep working, 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 end up, you, you end up with the ho-hums instead of the i-hos. Does that make sense? And, and what you end up with is the characters of the seven dwarves, and you, who's the sneezy or the grumpy in the place? Like, seriously, if you just keep working, 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 you end up like grumpy. True? So, so my passion isn't work, even though my passion's expressed through my work ethic. True? Does that make sense? Can you connect with that? So don't be grumpy, be happy. True? All right, so, so, so I said, okay, so it's not works. And I thought about this as I was writing my notes down. And I said, it's not works. What is my passion? And it's, it's actually action. I love action films. Who likes a good action film? Yeah? I love a good action film. Sunday night action film, here we come. All right, um, I love action, but it's not just action for action's sake. It's not just work for work's sake, is it? it, it it's action for the kingdom. If you want to boil your passion down and you want to remain passionate for the long haul, it has to be connected with a passion for the kingdom of God. If you give your passion just to a church, then you'll burn out of passion, a fire. But if you give your passion to what God's passionate about, which is to see the kingdom advance, all of a sudden your fire continually goes. And you're not just bogged down with work, you're passionate about the fact that you're bogged down with work. Does that make sense? So let me ask you this question, something for you to reflect on this afternoon. What is your passion? What is your passion? Nehemiah's passion was rebuilding that which was lost. To be a godly passion, to be something that guides you and, and uh, fires you up for the kingdom of God. To be a godly passion, our passions must be linked with the Great Commission and the Great Command. The Great Commission is what? Go into all the world and spread the gospel. The Great Command is to love others as you love yourself. If, if they're linked to those two things, your passion will never burn out. And, and that must become something that stirs our passion. It means advancing the territory of Jesus. It means seeing the kingdom of God come. And how do we do this? We don't do this through war. We don't do this through, through saying bad things about people, but we do it by releasing the love of God in them, changing the environment around them. If you're passionate for Jesus, you will do that. If you're passionate for yourself, you're only going to be passionate to get something off of people and out of people. If you're passionate for the kingdom, you want to release people into their calling. You want to release people into doing something for Jesus. You want to share the gospel with them and set them free from death and into the kingdom of life. How do we do this? 
So you can begin by, by this, this afternoon as you're praying. What is my passion? Asking God, connect me with this. You can write down something that comes to you around what is your desire. And uh, for me, I write this down in like two minutes. It wasn't even. I, I think I just wrote it down. And I'm like, hey, that looks all right. That sounds like me. And I think it's come out as easy as this because I've spent 20 years pursuing this. Um, but for you, it might take a little bit more work and a little bit more prayer and a, and a little bit more say, hey, God, I, I need to get involved here somehow and, 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 and connect with you in this. But my passion is to see Jesus Christ's vision of his church become a reality on earth as it is in heaven, seeking to release kingdom dominion into the realm of the natural. That's my passion. It's my passion. So ask me what it's about, and I'm going to say, well, I'm going to connect you to the kingdom of God, and I'm going to release in you what God wants you to do. That's my passion. I love to do that. And there's ways that we can do that together. So how are we to do this? Well, ultimately, I think this is not my passion. I think this is God's passion. But my passion is to stir your passion to outfill and outwork God's passion for your life. Does that make sense? I think it made sense. I followed it along somewhere along the line in my head. I think it makes sense. Our passion should be discovered God's passion for our life that we can release passion in other people's life. There's another way of saying it. Like it's just to set fire to other people. To help them discover what God dreams are in their heart. <coughs> I think this is a perpetuating or a, or a life-giving passion because it connects people to the kingdom of God. How do we do this? Four points, really quickly. If you're writing notes, these are the four, the four points. Number one is Jesus. So when Jamie asked me, what's my passion? My cop-out was Jesus. Right? You can't stand up here and say my passion is Jesus. When it really is. Should, that should be all of our passion. It should be summed up in that one word. But, but number one was Jesus. Number two was leadership. Number three was vision. And number four, discipleship. These are my four passions. And my four passions, I believe, with the role that I have in church, should overflow into your life and at the same time become uh, something that equips your passion to outwork in your life. Does that make sense? So... Number one is Jesus. We must move. Jesus, when we stop and reflect on Jesus, it must move us from a place of apathy into a place of, uh, of action. When I focus on Jesus, I'm reminded that Jesus just didn't say it, but he did it. He lived a life that was action. He lived a life that was passion. So much so that the last 12 hours of his life was called the passion. The passion of Jesus. The passion of Christ. His, but when I stop and I reflect in my devotional time with, with Jesus and of Jesus, I'm reminded that Jesus is a God of action. That while he was the Word of God, he didn't remain that. He became human flesh. And he put himself into a place that he could say, God, use me for your kingdom's purpose. And the way God used him was that he was smitten, that he was stricken, that he was striped for your transgressions, that he was for your healing, that he was nailed to a cross. That which Jesus did was he lived a life of action that says, you know what? 
It's not good enough just to say it. You've got to live it, even if it's going to cost you your life. Isn't he the greatest example of that? And, and when I connect with Jesus, it does everything in my heart to stir me up for the gospel. It does everything in my heart to stir me up to keep serving him, passionately pursuing the call of my life. You want to ask me, how do I keep getting up at night, how do, in the morning? How do I keep, even at night sometimes, how do you keep getting up and doing this? How do you keep, it's because I connected with the source. His name's Jesus. And if he can do it, then I can do it. And like I said, I'm not running for my own cross. I'm not running to an AR-15. I'm running to Jesus because in that I'm going to find my passion. And I develop my passion and I find my calling and I step into my calling because he leads me into my calling. Because that's what he wants for my life. So Jesus must move us to action because his cross, in his cross, he was exalted. Do you understand that? He said, he said that when I am lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. In his cross, we were saved. In his death, when we proclaim the death of Jesus Christ, we proclaim that there's freedom and liberty to the, those who are lost and perishing. When I lift up Jesus in my life, it brings life to me. The second is this. It's leadership. And like Nehemiah, leadership has to come from a place where we're connected with the strategies of heaven. We must be driven to our knees to ask God, what is it you want for my life? And why is it that you poured the Holy Spirit into my life? It's not a feel-good moment. It's to be full of action and passion for God. And the beauty of that is, while I'm not called to hang upon a cross, I'm called to take up my cross. And the Holy Spirit helps me do that day by day by day. I'm not, what I'm talking about here is hard. It's not easy. It takes commitment. It takes real grit. It takes faith. But when you think about it, the Holy Spirit has been given to us that we would have the strength to do this. And I take up my cross, which means I die to my dreams, my desires, my own fleshly vision for my life. See, the, the road to discovering your passion is actually the road to your death. The life I now live is unto Jesus. We don't have an option. Look at the book of Acts. Read through the book of Acts. Every person that came to know Jesus, every person that was saved, they were equipped with the Holy Spirit and they were dead to themselves. And they shared the life of Jesus with other people. They were scattered from their homes. Paul even lost his wife over this, they believe. Like, when, when you understand that Jesus did this, not for a portion of you, but for all of you, it changes radically what you become passionate about. And like I was saying before, you might be passionate about skiing the slopes of Canada. You might be passionate about seeing the world. But when you, but when you connect that passion that God has put in you 
with the passion of Jesus Christ, that actually equals missionary. Doesn't it? And when you die to yourself and you live for the purposes of God, guess what actually happens? Somewhere along the line, you get to ski the slopes of Canada. Is that right? <laughs> or snowboard, if you like snowboards. I don't know, I'm not a skier. I've never even seen snow. That's why I'm picking on it. Anyway. Number three is vision. It's got to be connected to a kingdom vision. To release the kingdom of priests. You know you're all a kingdom of priests? You know that? The Bible says it really clearly in Hebrews. Go and find it, because I don't know where it is. Six to nine. It's to release the kingdom of priests, because the whole earth groans in anticipation. And as the Bible says in Romans 8.19, with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. Our vision is too small if it doesn't have the world in mind. Our vision is too small if it's not about revealing the glory of God to those that we're beside, to those who we've been put next to, to those we work beside or spend school with. And lastly, discipleship. The vision and the, and the passion of God must uh, set us on a trajectory to win people for Christ, to set people free of the past, to train and equip and to release them to do this with other people. It has to be connected with the, with the ancient paths that Jesus set out for us to follow. And you can read those in Ephesians 4, 11 to 13. Now that, that predominantly talks about the fivefold ministry. But the purpose of the fivefold ministry is to train and equip the body of Christ to do the work of what the body of Christ wants the fivefold ministry to do. Thank you. Right? So that means that whatever the vision of the fivefold ministry is, if they're receiving that from God, their, their purpose is to train and equip you, number one, to receive vision and purpose from God, and number two, to release that into other people's lives. But the church throughout history, has expected the one behind the pulpit to do that. Yeah. But we're in a church that expects that it's not the one behind the pulpit, it's actually you, every one of you. And God has positioned you in places of influence where He wants you to be, some for a season, some for a lifetime, where He wants you to influence the people around you because, because you're connected to the way. His name is Jesus. You've op he's opened the way for you, and maybe He's asking you to open the way for them to come to Jesus. And if we don't connect with that, then why are we even here? So Nehemiah. Oh, and, and if you want a passionate scripture to, to stir you up in that one, uh, this is my life scripture, Luke 4, 18 and 20. You can go home and read that one. Nehemiah put, first, uh, put God first, and then he led the vision by releasing people to do the work they cared most about. Nehemiah is interesting. He didn't just say, build the wall. You go and do this, you go and do that, you go and do this. Nehemiah said to the people to build the wall in front of their home. Why? Because that's the place that they're going to be the most interested in. 
Because if you're going to build the best wall that you can to keep the, the, the enemy out, the best the place that you want it the strongest is right there where your house is. Is that right? So you're going to be committed to building a good wall. Where are you invested? Where has God placed you? What are you passionate about puts you into the place of how do you influence people for the kingdom? Why? Because you're in it. So if you're passionate about snowing the ski Alps, then uh, skiing the snow Alps, that one, then snow the Alps. Ski the Alps. Snowboard, that's where I'm going. Snow, snowboard the I've got it. Snowboard the Alps for Jesus. Is that right? So if you're passionate about snow, go and snowboard the Alps for Jesus. Does that make sense? If you're passionate about building something, then build it for the glory of God and take people on the journey with you. If you're passionate about schools, get into the schools and pray for the schools. God's positioned you uniquely for that place. If you're passionate about health and all those sorts of things, if whatever it is you're passionate about, get involved in it, but not for your purpose. Remember, you're dead. Do it for the purposes of the kingdom of God, so that the world may know. Amen? God, God, me, you. Three things. Ready? God. Nehemiah achieved the impossible in 52 days. He built the wall, him and his people built the wall in 52 days. If each of us grabbed that concept and we started to win one person for Christ, we just started to pray for them, we just started to believe for them, we just started to start to share the love of God with them, and if we could lead them into the place where they would encounter Jesus, guess what? We'd be full. And then the next month we do the same, and the next month we do the same, we win the world over in a pretty quick time. That's the process of multiplication. And God says that we can do this. If, if Nehemiah could do it, how, how can't we do it? We're doing it in the power of the Holy Spirit. We're doing it in a different age. Secondly, if I think about my passion, then my passion has actually permeated every area of my life. And it's cost me my life. But it doesn't matter, because my life now belongs to who? Jesus. Amen? And I'm doing it for whose glory? For God's glory. So whether it costs me 16 hours a day, or it costs me 24 hours a day, or I lose sleep, or I get sick, or I... And I'm bringing my family into all of this. and Whatever it costs me. But cost me going over to the Bahamas. <sighs> Whatever it costs me, it costs me because I'm doing it for whose glory? Maybe I'll go to the Bahamas one day as a missionary. You never know. No. I'm, not, I'm not excited about the Bahamas. Maybe Brazil. <laughs> Lastly, you. My passion. Why I'm here today talking to you is my passion should touch your heart. So that you will connect with your passion. The very thing that brings you to life. Like I said, I'm not talking about snowboarding. I'm talking about skydiving. I'm not talking about food. You might be passionate about making food. You can come and see me about that. That would be awesome. But, like, seriously, it's, what, why are you passionate about food? Because God gave you that passion. You can cook for people. Yeah? You can create the best dishes in the world. And, and, 
and, and make them simple for people to follow, like me, who aren't really cool. Anyway. Um, connect with your passions. Because God's got a purpose for you in your passions, and your dreams, and your desires. And this is the reason why. So that the world may see and know. It's all about the unified purpose of God. Because he's called us for such a time as this. God has called you for such a time as this. Let me invite Tash to come. Uh, we're not going to sing the song today to finish. But I am going to ask you to reach out. I'm going to ask you to begin to ask God, what is my passion? What is my passion? As Tash comes, let me, let me uh, read you a prayer of Jesus's. Because this is really a passionate prayer. It's found in John's Gospel, John chapter 17. And Jesus is praying for unity. Do you know that? Verse 20 to 24, Jesus says this. I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. So guess what? Jesus is praying for you. Do you believe in Jesus through the word of God? Do you believe in Jesus through the words that someone has said to you? That he's praying for you here. And he prays this, that they will, that they all may be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you. That they also may be one in us. That the world may know or the world may believe that you sent me. Verse 22. And the glory which you gave me, I have given them. Hallelujah. That they may be one, just as we are one. I in them, and you in me. That they may be made perfect in one. And that the world may know that you have sent me, and have loved them, as you have loved me. Lastly, verse 24. Father, I desire that they also whom you gave me, may be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory, which you have given me. For you loved me before the foundation of the world. We are we're called to great things, church. Each and every one of us. You can believe that or you can reject that. That's, that's entirely on you. But we are called to great things. And I want to partner with Jesus. Actually, as I was saying, you, you unlock your vision, you, you unlock your passion by getting into the space where Jesus is. And Jesus is actually praying here when you heard it in verse 24. He says, Father, I desire that they... Also, whom you gave me may be with me where I am. That they may behold my glory which you have given me. So it's in the beholding of the glory of Jesus that we unpack and discover God's purposes for our life. You can't do this on your own. You keep trying and you'll be gripped with you'll be gripped with, with anxieties and you'll be gripped with all sorts of stress. It's only in the face of Jesus that you will discover your passion. It's only in the face of Jesus that you'll discover your purposes. 
yeah, I said we're called to great things. We're, we're called to take back the high places. Like, like God, it's no accident God has planted this church in this city. We're called to take back the high places. And I'm not talking about the land. The land's pretty flat unless you've been on scenic hill. I'm talking here about the high spiritual places, the things that have been lifted up and put over this city that are not from God. That we're called to actually break open the wells that the enemy has stopped up. We are called to release something in this city that God wants to release. And, and I believe that that's an encounter with Jesus that will set the captives free. I believe it's actually an encounter with his Holy Spirit because as I look around, I look at people who are giving their lives over to an experience, and we call that experience drug taking. That they're giving themselves into something because they're trying to discover, I suppose, some sense of euphoria. It's a chemical release in their life that they're trying to discover, but the only release they really need to discover is the freeing work of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And as we lead them into this, and as they encounter the Holy Spirit, they will encounter a euphoria like they haven't done before, because within them will be, rise up a passion, and it will be a passion about the things of God. So church, the reason I want you to understand and connect with the face of Jesus, and to, and to release your passions into the kingdom, to release your passions into your city, to release your passions into your family, and into your workplaces, it's because I want to release the kingdom of God here and now on earth as it is in heaven. We can only do that together. While I might carry a passion and I might carry a dream, it's, it's this house, it's this church that has to cause the other churches to work in unity. It's this house, it's this church that's got a high call to be able to tear down the high places and to build up and to break open the wells of the kingdom of God. We're praying and we're seeing to God to open up the heavens. We want to see you. We're praying and we're seeing God fill us. The reality is, let me prophesy, the reality is the Holy Spirit is in you and upon you right now. When you connect with that and you connect with the passions of God in your life, you will, you'll be unstoppable. Metaphorically, I'm ready to run toward that, that AR-15. Thank God he has not called me to the front line of Syria. But he's called me to the front line of Griffith. And he's called you as his church to the front line of this city and this region. And unless we unite in heart and we capture the vision of Jesus, we'll never achieve anything. We might have a nice Sunday morning service or we might have a a, a, a beautiful celebration of our pastors that, that have been serving you. But that's not what it's about. So I'm going to invite you to stand to your feet. It's a very dangerous thing to ask your pastor to share his passion or her passion. It's an even more dangerous prayer to ask Jesus to reveal your passion. 
And when our passion unites with the passion of God, watch out, world, for you are in trouble. In a good way. Amen. The world, our world, needs an encounter with the one who will set them free. Nehemiah 6, 15 to 16 says this. So the war was finished on the 25th day of the month, Elul. In 52 days. And when all our enemies heard of it, all the nations around us were afraid and fell greatly in their own esteem. For they perceived that this work had been accomplished with the help of God. God has done everything possible save you, to set you free. And he did it with the outpouring of his own blood, the blood of Jesus Christ. And now there is a responsibility on us in this generation and in the, to, to see that which God has done fully affected in this world. That is our responsibility. And I am driven by this word. Well done. Good and faithful. So enter into your rest. Now I make mistakes and I let the Lord down on a daily basis. But I've got one thing in my sights and that is the prize of which God has called me for. And right now that prize is this city and this region. And my passion is to stir you to discover your passion for the kingdom of God. If you want God today, I want you to raise your hands high to him. It was a prophetic action that Hannah said when she said to you today in worship, raise your hands in surrender. If you want more of God and you want to partner with the prayer of Jesus that we would know that we are one together and that we would be in the place that Jesus is then God is just going to ignite a fire in you today where in your devotional times and your personal times you're going to want nothing more but his face and you are going to weep for him and his plans Lord Jesus, I just release that word now that we are going to weep for your kingdom's purpose. Lord Jesus, across this house, those who are here at present, those who are listening on Facebook, those who will hear these words, Lord, as they listen and log on online, even those who could not make it today, Lord, I pray for them that right now I release a fire upon their lives, a hunger and a thirst for righteousness, a desire for your kingdom, a passion for your name, Lord Jesus. Holy Spirit, right now, light a fire in our hearts for you that we may run and not grow weary. Lord, I pray for the updraft of your Holy Spirit that we may soar on wings of eagles. 
that we would do so not in our own strength, but Lord God, in the tears that would flow from the depths of our hearts and the empowerment of your Holy Spirit, Lord Jesus. Father, we, we want you. We want more of you. Lord, in our devotional lives this week, I pray, encounter us afresh like you're encountering us now. Set our heart ablaze. Holy Spirit, breathe on us now. Fan into flame that which you have poured into our lives that we would connect with the passions and the purposes of God for us. Lord, I pray that we would reveal your glory and that the enemy would fear tremble your name in this place. Lord, I just release upon this city and this region your glory. I just speak, Lord, an ease of the sharing of the gospel. Lord, I, as we partner with your Holy Spirit, I ask that we would step into more and step away from fear. That you would fill us with a faith beyond our own capacity. Lord Jesus, we ask for you now. We want you. Your kingdom come right here, right now, as it is in heaven. For your name's sake and for the reason Jesus prayed that the world may know of your glory. We thank you for this in Jesus' name. Thank you that we are one. And we pray, Lord, that you will use us to unite the churches of our region for the glory of your kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. And amen. May God bless you today. Take up the challenge as you sit around your coffee or your lunch. Take up the challenge to just... Start a conversation with someone you haven't spoken to and just tell them what your dream is, what your passion is, what you want to do for God. And don't just talk about it. Be the James of our generation and step into your calling. In Jesus' name, amen.